because I don't want to exclude anyone from experiencing the ocean. I don't want money to be a barrier. I don't want location to be a barrier. I don't want ability or disability to be a barrier. Welcome to Shell Phone, the podcast that gives the ocean its very own hotline. Join us as we hear from ocean stewards, discover threats to ocean health, and learn ways we can all answer the ocean's call. This podcast is brought to you in part by the Tampa Bay Estuary Program and Coastal Creative. Now, let's get into the show. I'm Harmony Dawson, and joining us this episode is Leah Beery, the director of the Tampa Bay Watch Discovery Center on the St. Pete Pier. She loves marine science, spending time outside doing things like paddleboarding and yoga, And we're going to talk today about all the different paths that you can take to get into marine conservation or to help the ocean in your everyday life and some projects that are happening here in Tampa Bay. Hi, Leah. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here on this rainy day. Yes, me as well. It's very stormy out, but let's get right into it. Sounds good. The Tampa Bay Watch Discovery Center is a place where people can learn about Florida's ecosystems and how they're being protected and restored. So what are some of the things that visitors can experience there? Well, we have a lot to offer at the Discovery Center. I like to say there's something for everyone. We have an exhibit gallery where we have we have exhibits that are designed to teach people all about the Tampa Bay ecosystem. We have live animals, we have aquariums that have lionfish, which are an invasive species. We have a mangrove tank that features some of the species you might find in the bay. We have terrapins, which are really beautiful turtles that are unique to this area. We just launched a frog exhibit. We have a touch tank. And we also have a lot of interactive exhibits that demonstrate the work that Tampa Bay Watch has been doing for the past 30 years to restore the bay. We also have daily programs where people can sign up and participate in dissections and other hands-on programs. So those are for, some of them are for kids, some of them are for toddlers. We also have opportunities for adults to learn. Uh, And then we have eco-tours that depart from the pier times every day so you can actually go out on the bay and participate in some of our citizen science projects and see what we find. Do you have a favorite project that's going on right now at the Discovery Center or within Tampa Bay Watch as a whole? Well Tampa Bay Watch's restoration projects are really broad. We're doing a lot of different things but I, I have two favorites. The first is our oyster reef ball installations. So we have volunteers who come out and they build these big reef balls, which are made of marine-friendly cement, and they're designed to be a great substance for oysters to attach to and grow on. So we build them and then we install them all over Tampa Bay and the oysters attach and grow and oysters are filter feeders. So they end up cleaning the water and they provide that ecosystem service. And I think that's foundational to Tampa Bay Watch's work to take care of the bay. But I also really love our monofilament cleanup and recycling program. We have groups that go out on boats and clean monofilament off of bridges and gull wires and mangroves, which is great because if it's left there, it can entangle animals. 
and we clean it up and we sort through it and then we recycle the line through a recycling program and I think that's another really cool project that we're working on that probably saves a lot of animals directly. Yeah. So is monofilament like fishing lines? Yeah, monofilament is just your typical fishing line that, you know, when fishermen are out fishing, or I should say fisher people, men and women are out fishing, they sometimes get their line snagged and it can be difficult to, if you're on a boat, go untangle it. So we kind of try to do that for people and make the waters a little safer for the creatures. We have monofilament recycling bins too, and those are also volunteer managed. So we have volunteers who go out and empty them, which is a really dirty job. And those are some really great dedicated volunteers. So going away from your work a little bit, I would love to hear more about some experiences that have been really meaningful to your personal connection to the ocean and nature. Like, when did you realize that you wanted to get involved in conservation? Well, I think growing up, I always felt a connection to Southwest Florida, and uh, I spent a lot of time on Sanibel Island with my family. My dad would always take my brother and me to kayak and kind of muck around in the mangroves and see what we could find with our dip nets. I always really loved that as a kid. I did a lot of snorkeling, a lot of ocean camps growing up. And I think that those things really led me to be pretty aware as a young adult that I wanted to have some sort of career in conservation. Yeah, that sounds like a really fun childhood. I used to go hiking a lot with, or I still do go hiking a lot with my family and kayaking. So it's definitely. Yeah, it's amazing how those experiences in nature, even if they're not like formally educational, can just help you connect and want to be involved more deeply in the future. Yeah. Is there a particular activity or place where you feel most connected to nature? I think I would have to say free diving. I really love paddleboarding, but I think free diving is the winner. There's nothing like the feeling of being in the ocean with just your snorkel mask and your fins and like no gear, no tank, and just diving down, hearing the sounds underwater and feeling the current and the waves. It makes me feel really connected. It's just like such a sense of calm and quiet that I don't experience in many other places in life. Do you go very deep down? Well, I'm still learning, but I think I can comfortably dive down to about 40, 45 feet. Awesome. What kind of things do you see while you're free diving? Well, it depends on the location, but I really love free diving on coral reefs. Like, do you find lots of debris? Do you notice that a lot of times when I'm diving, I'll notice plastic particles in the water. So, I, you know, that's a real problem for the ocean. But, you know, I also see a lot of animals and sometimes like even I've gone free diving offshore before in just like a random spot in 200 feet of water. And there were jellyfish and mahi-mahi and a triple tail. So there's it's, it's really amazing how anytime you dive in, you see some sort of life no matter where you are. So why is it important to be able to learn about the ocean and get involved in helping it? Well, I think that the ocean 
makes up such a huge part of this planet. There's so much to discover under the surface of the ocean that we don't think about every day, that we all kind of owe it to ourselves and to one another to think about it and explore it and experience it and take care of it. The ocean regulates the temperature on our planet. It provides the majority of the oxygen we breathe. It gives us food, and without it, we wouldn't be able to live. So spending time learning about it and taking care of it is worth doing and worth sharing with people. And in in my job, my goal is to make that as accessible to as many people as possible so that they can build a connection with the ocean, appreciate what there is to discover in the ocean, and learn about how they can participate. Yeah, and you can do that without making it your entire career as well. Sure. I think that it's not it's not really about what you do. It's about how you do it when it comes to the ocean and whether you have a career in, in marine conservation or you're a scientist or if you, you know, if you work at a bank, you can still approach your job in a way that is ocean friendly and, and you can do little things every day that will help. So If you have a career outside of marine science, what are some ways that you can care for the ocean? Well, I think that the the key is really mindfulness. So when when I'm thinking about how to live my life in an ocean-friendly way, it's about considering every action. And like, we're never going to get it perfect, right? It's not the system that we live in. But we can think about how is this meal I'm choosing going to affect the ocean? Is this seafood sustainable? Am I buying like biodegradable bags for my dog? Am I bringing my reusable bag to the grocery store? So we can all do those things in our everyday life and think about every little situation we're in and how we can do better next time or how we can plan ahead for the day to make sure that we're doing our best. And then in our jobs, I think that no matter where you work, you can kind of try to transfer that into your company and into the people who you work with. Like you you talk about it with your coworkers. You talk about it with your family and friends. Maybe you start a sustainability committee. Maybe you convince your office to go more digital instead of using so much paper. It's it's all about finding little things that can add up to make a difference. And you can do that anywhere. You don't have to work for a marine conservation nonprofit. You don't have to be a marine biologist. You just think about your actions and you make small changes and you teach people about them. Yeah, you don't have to do everything, but there are lots of little things that you can do that work for you and for... Exactly. You don't have to do everything, but do something. Yeah. And when you don't do it right, think about how you can do it better next time. So your own work has gone through many changes. I know you've focused on some science, like in school. You've also done work with yoga and then now more education and things like that. So can you tell us more about that journey and some of your favorite things that you've done? Sure. So I think in my career, I think I have at times felt a little bit worried about how how different some of my experiences have been. I I've, I felt like I wasn't developing maybe one skill set or one career path enough, and I was trying too many different things, and I was never sure where it would lead. But 
now I'm really grateful for the many different experiences I've had. And that kind of started out in in college. I was a zoology major as an undergraduate, and I ended up doing fieldwork in Tanzania studying baboons. I, after that, spent some time in Tanzania snorkeling and kind of was reminded of how much I love the ocean and being in the ocean. So I I started an internship with a, a marine science education nonprofit in college, teaching summer camps and, and marine science programs. And then I ended up working as the director of operations for that nonprofit, so doing less education and and more day-to-day stuff where I was learning how to run a facility and an organization really sustainably. And then I continued down that path and worked as a director of communications for the same organization and really got into how to translate science into something that the general public can feel excited about and understand. I also did my master's degree in fisheries management. I I ended up there because I watched a documentary about sustainable seafood and thought it was really interesting and got really concerned about fisheries declines. So I, I decided to study that. I worked in fisheries management in Belize for a little while. And I also have a, a yoga teacher certification. So I've done lots of different things, but the theme throughout has really been staying mindful about about the big picture of how do we take care of the ocean and the environment and how can how can I approach all of the different jobs I've done from that angle. Yeah, I'm kind of going through a similar process right now in school where I'm trying to focus on lots of different fields like environmental studies and creative writing and anthropology and kind of mixing them all together. But it's really exciting that you did all those things after getting out of college and you were still able to get into them and try new things and kind of adapt to different fields. Did these opportunities kind of fall in your path or did you seek them out once you realized that you were interested in something new or... I think it, I think it's a combination of the two. I think that the way I've approached my career, and I don't think there's one right way to do it, right? But the way I've approached my career is just kind of following what feels interesting and exciting to me in the moment. So every time an opportunity presents itself, I kind of just consider whether or not it sounds like something that would be worth my time and feel meaningful. And that can look like a lot of different things for me. So. Yeah, like there have been times, for example, with my my graduate school program when I thought, wow, I'd really love to know more about the about fisheries and about sustainable seafood. And I actively pursued that path. But there have been other times, for example, I, I did some work with the Queen Conch aquaculture, and that was a connection that that was made more spontaneously, but it seemed really, really exciting. So I went down that path, even though it wasn't closely related to where I thought I was going at the time. Yeah. Did all of those experiences kind of build on each other, like one helped you with the next, or were they kind of more separated? Yeah, I think no matter what you do for work, the skills you develop can be applied to anything else you do down the line, even if it's kind of abstract or or it's not a maybe an obvious or direct connection. 
One example that comes to mind for me is is communication and my experience working in communications for a marine conservation nonprofit has been so useful in everything I've done in the in the science and ocean conservation world because if you're not telling people about what you're doing then you're missing out on an opportunity to educate and generate support for these efforts. So I think it's been really useful to kind of know how to use social media and know how to write a press release and know who to reach out to if you want people to know about your event. And then from the other side, like being familiar with the scientific process and understanding how to read scientific research and kind of translate it into something that anyone can grasp and and feel interested in is, is a great skill. So yeah, absolutely. I think Figuring out how to build those connections is is the challenge and, and it's what makes things fun. I very much agree. So I'd love to hear more about this documentary that got you interested in your graduate program that you did. Okay, so The End of the Line is a documentary that came out about, I don't know, 15 years ago in the early 2000s. It's about sustainable seafood and the ways that we harvest fish as food on this planet. There was a professor who was one of the talking heads in the documentary. His name is Dr. Daniel Polly at University of British Columbia, and he runs this project called the Sea Around Us Project. And I really loved what he had to say. He had this really direct but balanced perspective of like understanding that a lot of humans around the world depend on and love seafood, but also that we need to approach the way we harvest fish more more carefully and more responsibly. So I sent him an email and I just kind of said, I, I really loved what you had to say at, in the end of the line. And I would love to have a conversation with you. I wonder if you have any opportunities for graduate students. I didn't expect it to lead anywhere. But we ended up emailing back and forth, and he invited me to be one of his graduate students. So um, just sending an email and telling someone that I loved what they had to say set me down the path to to pursuing my my graduate studies in fisheries management. Yeah, that's awesome what just one email can do. And it doesn't even have to be an email asking, like, what can I do to work with you? It can just be showing interest in somebody's project and can snowball from there. Yeah, absolutely. So what is your advice for younger people who are just beginning their journey into marine conservation? I think my piece of advice would be, well, I have a few actually. One of them would be experiment. So just test the waters. If, if there's something that you hear about and you think that sounds fun, try it. And if it's not for you, then move on to the next thing until you find a place that feels right. And maybe that place isn't going to feel right forever. I think, you know, trying things is really important. And also not feeling intimidated. I think when I was a young college student, I felt a little bit intimidated about contacting and professors about participating in their projects because I thought, wow, these people are really busy and really smart and why would they want to talk to me? But now kind of being on the other side of that, I realized that people love when you reach out to them about their work and when you want to get involved in their work. And I think that just sending an email to see if there are opportunities is 
always okay. And the worst thing that can happen is that someone might say there's nothing available right now, but, but never feel like you can't just contact someone to find out how you can get involved. That's kind of like what putting together this podcast is like, reaching out to people whose work we think is really interesting and then seeing if they are able to talk about it with us. Yeah, and I think a lot of times when people say no, it's not because they don't. Well, I don't think people say no often. In my experience, they're, a lot of times they're really happy that you're that you've heard about their work and that you are interested. But if they do say no, a lot of times it's just about time limitations, right? People are busy. I found one article that you wrote a few years ago that was really interesting to me about a project that incorporated education about Sanibel Island's sea turtles and sea turtle conservation with a new moon yoga program on the beach. That's like really a unique thing that combines all kinds of different fields. So I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit more about that. Sure. So I think that was a really good example of how you can participate in ocean conservation no matter what field you work in. So that was that was a collaboration with two of my good friends. One of them owns a yoga studio. The other is a sea turtle scientist. My friend who owns the yoga studio is very conservation-minded, really loves the ocean, grew up in Colombia, close to the beach, and she wanted to find a way to use her platform to educate people about sea turtles and how to help protect them on Sanibel Island. And she connected with my other friend, Kelly, who who studies the sea turtles and runs the sea turtle conservation program for that area of Florida. And they talked about what they could do and they ended up creating this program where Yali would have a donation-based, Yali is my friend with the yoga studio, she would create a a donation-based meditation during the new moon, which the, the moon cycles are related to sea turtles and how they hatch and the hatchlings follow the the light of the moon to the water so it all kind of fit together nicely and anyway the donations from from these meditations would support Kelly's research program and then I was able to jump in with my science and writing and communication background and publish an article about all of it for one of the magazines on the island so the three of us were able to take our individual skill sets and career paths and each approach sea turtle conservation from a slightly different from a slightly different place and and make it more impactful than it could have been on our own. And here in Florida, it's really important to know about sea turtles and their connection to the moon because there are tips like don't shine your lights bright when they're hatching and things like that because it would confuse them. Yeah, and that was part of the meditations as well. It was, you know, there was the meditation, but then there was this little educational aspect woven in where at the end people would learn a few ways that they could change their own behavior and, you know, turn out their lights and go reusable so that plastic bags don't end up in the ocean for sea turtles to confuse with jellyfish. And they'd walk away with, with some action items in addition to participating in the, in the event. 
So after you published this article and ran the programs, did you hear any feedback from the community? Well, we had more interest in the meditations. And then another really great thing that happened is we ended up having a matching donor. So someone who stepped up and said, this is great. I love the collaboration and I want to double everyone's impact. So this person, this person gave a, a set amount and he, he said that up to that amount, he would match anyone else's contributions to the meditations. So it ended up the impact that the program could have, which was really cool. Did you hear about how people felt about combining the education with the meditation yoga side of it, if they felt that was really impactful on how they interacted with the ocean in the future? Well, I think that something about combining yoga and meditation and breath work with a conservation message is, especially if it happens outside, which this program specifically happened on the beach, breathing in nature and being quiet and listening to the sounds of the ocean really can help you feel connected to it. So maybe it has an even bigger effect on your mind and, and your connection with with the planet and wanting to help than it would elsewhere because you're you're hearing the sounds and you're smelling the ocean and you're being reminded that we're all a part of this planet and we're not really that different from the sea turtles ourselves right yeah yeah being out in nature definitely makes it a much more sensory and all-around experience yeah it can be really inspirational I think that when you have that experience outside on the beach you can walk away from it and think wow I really want to protect this this is amazing yeah awesome so we've talked about some different career paths that people can take into conservation another interesting one is artivism where art is used as a creative and engaging way to forward activist movements so how have you seen artivism being used in in marine science. Oh my gosh, there are so many cool artivism projects out there. In St. Pete, I love the the Shine Mural Festival and yes. all the murals that are being painted related to the ocean all over town. I think a few new ones went up recently and I actually really love to to look them up online and then go find them when I go for a bike ride or a walk. I also love some of the plastic art that's being created with collected plastic from the beaches. I know that there are a lot of international and local organizations creating beautiful works of art out of recycled plastic and then using those to educate people about plastic in the ocean and how we can all help clean up and, and prevent the plastic from getting there in the first place. How do you think artivism engages the public differently than other things such as just displays or articles, books, things like that? Well, I think all of those things have their place, right? I think that articles and educational displays can be really directly informative, but I think that art can make us feel something that we don't necessarily feel when we look at a poster. Looking at something really beautiful or or really ugly or whatever that art, whatever that artist decided to create and share with the world. I, I think that it, it can impact us on a gut level more than just reading a book or, or looking at a poster. So it can be really inspirational and it comes in a lot of different forms. But, but I, I think that ocean related art 
has a significant place in inspiring people to to want to make a difference for the ocean. Yeah. There's this marine science laboratory in Maine, where I'm from, that hosts a display from different artists, like monthly or however often they change it up, that side of their actual laboratory that makes it so much more interesting to walk in and see where the connection is between the art and the science that they're doing. It can be so eye-catching. One of the things I've been following recently is the Surfrider Foundation has a contest every year where they ask people to collect plastic from the beach and create artwork with it. And then they post the what people contribute on social media. And some of it is just so creative and beautiful. But you also look at it and you think, oh my gosh, I can't believe all of that came out of the ocean. Do you personally do any art projects with plastics that you may pick up while out diving or at cleanups or I actually have an Instagram account that's dedicated to shells I really love shells I like to learn about shells and I do a lot of like creating images with my shells and taking photos and posting it on that account but when I travel I like to take pictures of what I find in a specific location and I think that it's interesting for people to to see that maybe on this specific beach in Puerto Rico all I found was cigarette butts like that's that's meaningful and that sends a strong message it is also really nice to see the not so negative images of nature like focusing on the beautiful shells and things yeah but it's always a mix it's always a mix what you find I'm curious do you have like a favorite shell that you've ever found well my favorite shell is the queen conch I just, they're so beautiful and I've worked on queen conch aquaculture a bit and their life cycle is really fascinating. They're also herbivores. I'm a vegan, so (laughs) I kind of, (laughs) I kind of love how I have that in common with the queen conch. (laughs) So Breach the Surface is actually working on an artivism project in partnership with the Discovery Center, local youth community centers, Tampa's annual ocean sweep and the Gobioff Foundation. And we plan to showcase the mural made with recovered ocean plastics sometime in early December at the Discovery Center. So what were your personal goals when coming into this project? Well, the timing of when Veronica and Breach the Surface approached me with this project was perfect because I started at the Discovery Center in March. And when I got there, I thought, this place needs some art we really are missing art. And she came to me with this idea to add a mural that incorporates recycled ocean plastic that kids have collected and created art with. And it just fits into our mission and our goals so perfectly because a lot of what we do at the Discovery Center is geared around working with underprivileged youth and kids who maybe don't have an opportunity to interact with the ocean very much despite living very close to it. And so so, so Breach the Surface is working with some of these kids and, and collecting plastic from the beach and, and making great art. And she's already partnered with, with some great mural artists. 
And I was just so excited about the idea to add that to the Discovery Center and also tell the story to people who visit us and then give the kids an opportunity to come out and see their work. And I think they're going to go out on our eco vessel and we're going to do some marine science education with them too. So all the pieces really fell into place and, and fit perfectly. And yeah, I'm really stoked. I'm so excited to make it happen. Yeah. So branching off of that, why is accessibility to marine science important to you? And what role does it play in your work at Tampa Bay Watch beyond this project? Because I don't want to exclude anyone from experiencing the ocean. I don't want money to be a barrier. I don't want location to be a barrier. I don't want ability or disability to be a barrier. So my goal is to figure out ways to overcome all of those challenges. And and we have a really great team at the Discovery Center and so many people who share that, to share that desire to share the bay and the ocean with, with everyone who wants to learn about it. And even people who didn't even know yet that they wanted to learn about it. So we're doing so many different things to work on accessibility. We just launched a mobile education program so that we can bring our programs and some of our animals to the kids at their schools. Transportation is a big issue for teachers. It can be hard for people to get out to the pier for field trips. So we're bringing it to them. We also just added a wheelchair ramp to our eco vessel so we can accommodate wheelchairs on any of our trips. I think we're the first boat in St. Pete that has that ability. So that's really exciting. We also have sensory programs. So we open up the Discovery Center early, about once a month, to anyone who wants to come in and have sort of a low sensory experience. That's been popular with families who have kids and adults on the autism spectrum or with different sensory needs. So we're, we're thinking about it and, and trying to do what we can and, and add to it all the time. We also partnered with Lighthouse of Pinellas recently to bring a group of visually impaired individuals out on the eco-vessel. And our educators developed a program that just revolved around all the senses other than vision. And it was it was such a success. The group had so much fun. It was all about like touch and feel and sounds and smell and games around those senses. So that was really cool too. What sort of things did they feel like on the actual boat? Did you bring along like a touch tank? Well, the touch tank is in the Discovery Center, but we brought out feathers and artifacts. So we brought out like bird bones and like mammal bones and they could feel the different weight and talk about how the animals' skeletons are adapted to their habitats and environments. We also played a game where we played bird sounds to help them identify the different birds through hearing. You know, we talk about like the smells of the bay. What do you smell? So there, you know, even without vision, there are infinite ways to experience the the environment and the ocean. Yeah, just to add on to that, artivism doesn't always have to be visual. There can also be other programs like being immersed in a an auditory experience where you're hearing like the sounds of the ocean or feeling different things. I think that can also fit into the artivism bubble. So it's very, it's an exciting field that people are working their way into expanding and 
Yeah, I'd love to explore that more with Breach the Surface as we develop this partnership and this art artivism addition to the Discovery Center as well. I, I would love to hear Veronica's ideas and, and Breach the Surface's ideas of how we might be able to offer something that's not visual and it revolves around sound or touch or smell. So what are some specific ways that our listeners can get involved with Tampa Bay Watch? Well, Tampa Bay Watch works with thousands of volunteers every year. We really rely on volunteers for help with so many things. I think a lot of nonprofits have the the issue that money is a limited resource and staff is a limited resource and we have to fill in with volunteers. So we have restoration volunteers who help with things like our reef ball installations and the monofilament cleanup that I mentioned earlier. We also have uh, opportunities to help out with special events. At the Discovery Center, we have volunteers who work at our touch tank, making sure that the animals and the visitors stay safe. We have volunteers who help out on our eco-vessel with boat tours. We have interns who are education interns and restoration interns. We even have a, a development intern who helps with fundraising and communication. We pretty much anything that you have the skills for and you're interested in donating your time to help with, we can find a way for you to get involved and help out at Tampa Bay Watch. So never hesitate to send us an email. Like I like I said earlier, reach out, tell us you're interested and we'd be happy to respond and, and find a way for you to help. Yeah, there was a program at my school actually that I was planning on attending, but unfortunately could not, where part of it was working with Tampa Bay Watch to make the oyster reef balls and like pour the cement and everything i was really looking forward to that but hope maybe sometime in the future yeah you should come out sometime it's hard work but it's worthwhile (laughs) so how can people connect with tampa bay watch and find these opportunities or learn about the discovery center we have the discovery center has a website tbwdiscoverycenter.org and Tampa Bay Watch has a website, tampabaywatch.org. So depending on what you're interested in getting involved with, you can visit either of those websites. They also connect to one another. So find us online, contact us, send us an email, and we're always happy to help. Awesome. So thanks for joining us today. I have one last question for you. But this one's kind of a fun one. I'm wondering if you could be any ocean animal what would you be that's a tough one i think i would have to say a nudibranch i really love nudibranchs they're so colorful i love finding them for people who don't know what that is can you a nudibranch is basically like a little sea slug and you just have to google them that's all that's all i'll say yeah and i think it would be great to kind of slow down underwater and observe the ocean from the perspective of something tiny and slow. (laughs) Yeah, I was thinking about this, and I think I would want to be a jellyfish who is just like floating around in the ocean without a care in the world. Going with the flow. I love that. Yeah, just letting the current carry you. Yeah. Veronica, would you like to add what, what animal you would be? So my animal... I believe mine was the cuttlefish, right? We discussed earlier. Yeah. I wanted to be a cuttlefish. 
I don't really know why I want to be a cuttlefish. Honestly, it was like one of the first marine mammal I learned about in marine science, like one in high school. I remember just being like super shocked of like everything this creature could do and like how like sneaky they were and like how like they found a way to like reproduce. So like under the radar, you know, and I was like, these are just some really smart, like squid looking things. And I'm going to learn about this and I'm going to be one. (laughs) So that would be my, my animal for sure. Thanks for tuning into Shell Phone. You can learn more about our upcoming projects over on our website at breachthesurface.org or by following us on social media at breachthesurface. You can follow Leah's Shellagram at the Salty Treasure Project. And you can learn more about the Discovery Center and their programs over at tbwdiscoverycenter.org or on Instagram at tbwdiscoverycenter. Discovery Center.